0: to the City Church podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website www.thecity.sg. And you know, today I'm just going to talk about this thing I've been preparing, uh, thinking, meditating on it and I just felt that today even as I just come and speak, I just want to talk about this thing called the revelation of Jesus. Whatever that guy had experienced, a stranger who who has a year that's deaf, and when someone began to witness to him what Jesus could do and what he can do and and experiencing the power and the reality of Jesus right there, he, he actually had an encounter with a revelation of Jesus. He said, yeah, God. Fake stuff don't come from Jesus. He had a revelation that Jesus is real. And I just want to talk about this thing called the revelation of Jesus. Don't worry, I'm not going to turn to the Bible to read the book of Revelations. (laughs) I mean, some people are pretty scared of it. But I just want to talk to you about this this whole aspect of the revelation of Jesus and how I believe it is the church's greatest need today. Because we cannot give to someone what we do not know or what we do not have. If we we don't have a revelation of Jesus in our personal life, we can never release that or to be a witness of Him to a world who has yet to know Him. And one of the greatest needs of the church today is the revelation of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect image of God made manifest on the earth that we can see so that we can know Him, know God. And the second thing, oh, it's my first time doing PowerPoints. I spent all night doing it. <laughs> and it's black and white, guys. <laughs> A bit of blue. You'll see the blue eventually, all right? <laughs> Why the revelation of Jesus? Because Jesus is the perfect image of God to show us what God is like so that we can know Him. And not just that, but Jesus is also the perfect image of man to show us what man is like so that we can become like Him. And I want you to know that prayer is the only medium that God has ordained or designed for us to connect with Him and to know Him. And I just want to bring this, this one thing here to just break and shatter your paradigm of prayer because I want you to know the goal of prayer is not so much that we can, it's more than just an about answered prayer. But the goal of prayer is to know and to encounter the heart of the one whom we are talking to. Prayer becomes unsustainable if we, all we focus on is about the outcome. Because whenever there's a delay of outcome, guess what happened? We lose heart in talking to God. And guess what? Eventually we just lose heart in praying and eventually we don't pray anymore. If our focus is always about looking at the outcome and the answer prayer, we lose the, we miss the point. Because the purpose of prayer is simply simply this, that we may know Him. That in the process of asking Him for something that we want Him to do, we actually get to know Him in the midst of the process. That He revealed His heart to us and we got to partner with Him and to see God move on the earth. (laughs) Prayer become unsustainable when we are focused on the outcome rather than the person we are talking to. And when the things that we are praying gets delayed, we become weary and discouraged and we stop praying. For example, when at first a few times when God impressed upon our hearts to, have, to pray for revival, we call the church to pray. Wow, church-wide prayer meeting for a few weeks. After a few weeks, nothing much happened. Eventually, guess what happened? The prayer meeting became a little bit tiring, so eventually, the church-wide prayer meeting ends up to become a ministry for those people who enjoy praying, called intercessory ministry. But the thing is this, God has called the church to be a house of prayer, to, to pray. All of us are called to pray. But the problem is this, when we, when we lose heart because when we don't see an outcome, we get weary and discouraged. So eventually, we just find people who enjoy praying to pray, lah, and it becomes intercessory ministry, lah. And these selected few people are the sell-on people who love to pray, which is people like labeling me now. This guy, prayer guru. Sell-on, like to pray all the time. It's not it's not supposed to be like that. And that's why we label all the aunties who wear the pressure and go to prayer meeting, always rocking. We say, Oh, these are the people who are really gifted in prayer. It's not that. That's not supposed to be. The only way prayer can be sustainable is when it is driven by the pursuit of knowing the one that we're talking to. Yeah, right. yeah. If your eyes is caught on, on the one that you're talking to more than the outcome that He can bring for you or bring to you, you will stay in that place of gazing and be, in, be found in that place of His presence fully satisfied. Yeah. Be it an outcome or not, Because just by being found in that place of knowing Him, satisfies you completely. And that keeps you in a place of prayer. That's how sustainable prayer happens. I'm giving you a key to have a sustainable prayer life. Enjoyable. Don't focus on outcome. Focus on the person that you are praying to. And the only reason why we find prayer boring (laughs) is because we have yet to realize whom we are talking to. This is a reality check. And it's very telling. Why? Because it actually reveals the way we view God. We actually have a low view of God when we say prayer is boring. Because if you know who you are talking to, the one that spoke the earth into existence the one that created the heavens and the earth, the one that has all power, the one that was raised from the dead, the one that can do anything, and he's all in all, everything that we're looking for, we're asking for, and if you don't realize that this is who you're talking to, and you feel bored by talking to him, I think something is wrong. Perhaps you have a low view, such a view of God that's so low that we think that it's not worth talking to him. We can do other things that's better, that's more fun, that's that is more enjoyable. But the truth of the matter is if we come to a place where God will release a revelation of who you're talking to, if you begin to understand how great and majestic and beautiful He is, prayer will no longer become boring. In fact, you will be fascinated all day long. In heaven right now, the the reason why all these majestic creatures can sing day in and day out, night and day, for thousands and thousands of years and all the way to eternity is simply because God is too beautiful. They could not go anywhere else to see any other things. (laughs) There are four living creatures around heaven that that their preoccupation, or rather the occupation that God gave to these four living creatures with funny hates. Cow, man, eagle, and lion. And not just that, they have six wings, and all around their bodies are eyes. Eyes inside, eyes outside, eyes on top, eyes below. Everything on his bodies are eyes, and their occupation is to simply look at God and burn. This is their occupation in heaven. And they have and God gave us two eyes. And I, I guess the eyes that He created for that on our body, in our—I mean, our—our our sensory is so that we will not gaze in any other thing else, but to gaze on the one who is the origin of beauty. He is the definition of beauty. Our eyes were made to behold beauty, and the one who is the originator of beauty is the one who created it. And if your eyes are caught on to the beauty of who God is and who Christ is. He will stay there for a long time. I guess that's why in heaven, for all eternity, this is what we'll be doing. Looking at Him and to ascribe to Him what we look, what we see. Worthy, great are you, majestic, holy, wonderful, amazing. We sang the song, Beautiful Savior. How much of that has become a reality that He truly is far more beautiful than gold, silver, Or the precious stone that we own. Because he is that worthy, you will give it all up to pursue that. You know, there's one man in the Bible that has a different view of God. In fact, he has such a high view of God that he did some of the most radical things that no man had done in history. And the man that we know, most of us will know him, his name is David. King David, the king of Israel, the boy that God mentioned as a man after his own heart, has great esteem in, of, I mean great esteem in the God of Israel. In fact, he has one obsession, and this obsession is consistent throughout his entire life. <laughs> Whether he was a shepherd boy, to an old king or a great warrior, there's only one obsession that he has. And the obsession is to simply to know him, to worship him and to talk to him all day long. How do I know? Psalms 27 verse 4. Have you ever, we all know that when you put someone in a pressure cooker, the real stuff comes out, right? You know who they really are. Psalms 27 is basically that verse, that, that psalm that tells you what David, who David is really like or what he's really like. Can you turn with me to Psalms 27? You see, David is a busy man. Why? i think he has a lot of things to do why because he runs the nation but yet in the midst of his business and running the nation and and being a part of the most some of the most exciting things in the world like fighting in a war not that, fight, not, that not that exciting or to enjoy the comfort of his palace or to have all the concubines and yeah that is that is like back in those days But yet, there's only one obsession that manifested throughout the life of David. And Psalms 27 verse 1, I just want to give you a context of the Psalms. David was in battle. He's actually stuck. He was in a pressure cooker. He was surrounded by his enemies. People want to eat his flesh up, cannibals. (laughs) People want him dead. And he was being surrounded. He has no way out. And then, there in that place, he remembered Some of it, the moment that he had with God. And he said, the Lord is my light. There's some blue words there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 2. When evil doers assail me and to eat up my flesh, my adversary and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet in this I will be confident. What is the thing that he will be confident? Let's go to verse 4. Famous son of David that we all love. One thing have I asked of the Lord and I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You have to understand, when David became a king, the first thing that he did when he entered into his administration is not to set up a ministry of armed forces or set up a ministry of finance. Neither of the first thing that he did was to set up a ministry of manpower, but the first thing that he did was to sell the ministry of the priesthood. In fact, before he could even set up the ministry of the priesthood, he paid a huge price to run after the presence of God that was lost in Israel. The first thing that he wanted to reinstate in the nation of Israel is the presence of God. And he went after the presence and he paid a huge price. Do you know how many cows he slaughtered to bring it back? You know, cows is the commodity of the days of Israel. Like, all these are like my asset. And David slayed them like every six step. And then Q1, every six step Q1, it was like a blood trail. And then he just danced around with like almost naked. and, And he took a lot of effort, paid a lot of price, not just physical price, but dignity. And he brought the presence of God back simply because his heart is consumed with one passion. And you know, as long as David reigned as a king, there's not one day the name of God is being sung that's not being sung in the city of Jerusalem. Every day when you walk into the city of Jerusalem, when David is ruling as a king, you will keep on hearing the praises and the songs of God. Day and night, 24-7, God is being worshipped and His name is being lifted in the city of David. Day and night, as long as David was king, there's not one day that is silent. In fact, it feels like Disneyland. Everywhere you go, is like the music, the, the, you know. I think in heaven, something like that. Maybe there's some pipes that play worship music. Wherever you go in heaven, it's like angels singing, you know, it's saints with choruses. And, and this is exactly like, this is what happened in the city of Jerusalem. And, and I've been to Israel last year, and I went to a tour, and the guy, the guy brought us to the place where David saw Bathsheba place where he he saw Bathsheba. is also the place where you can actually overlook the temple. And it's so near that every night David could hear the singing because he just wanted to be so close to the presence of God. He just wanted to be so close to keep hearing the names of God being lifted. And every night he will hear the psalmist, the sons of Asaph, the sons of Korah, Keep singing the name of God. Have you ever wondered why all of a sudden in the midst of the pressure, when the pressure becomes heightened, the thing that comes out from him was, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You know who a man really is when you begin to press and squeeze him in the place of pressure. David has this one confidence. He says, as long as I just need to get to this place, the one thing that I want right now is to find the assurance and the reality of, this, of these words and say, God, bring me back to that place. I want to be found in your presence, to dwell in that place, to seek after you, to gaze upon the beauty of who you are, the light that is unapproachable, the light that is for brilliance and the light that is filled with majesty. I just want to look at that reality to gaze upon that place and to talk to you because if I can find myself in that place, it doesn't matter what is around me. I know I'm safe. I just want to say the anchor of knowing who Jesus is, which basically talks about his nature and what he's able to do, his ability gives gives us a confidence to overcome every situation. David knew who God is and what he can do and it doesn't matter what situation that he may be in, He just remembers this is who God is and He overcomes for me. That's why Jesus said, my brother talked about it, Jesus said, in this world, confirm, guarantee, chop. He prophesied. Confirm, guarantee, chop. You will have trials, tribulation and testing. But be of good cheer. Why? Because He has done it. He overcame it. He's able to He's able to raise himself from the dead and he has, overcome, he has proven to us what he's able to do and what he's like. And it's in that confidence he's trying to tell all of us Christians this. As long as you have a revelation of who he is and what he can do, it doesn't matter what situation you may be in, he can, you can overcome the situation. Because your anchor is not on the circumstances, but your anchor is on the one who is able. And he's not just able, but he's good. <laughs> he never fails. What he promised, he's faithful to do it. And this anchors of knowing only comes through the place of encountering truth who is found in the secret place where no man sees. Why secret place? Because no man can fabricate or to hype an encounter with God when nobody sees you in the secret place. You see, it's easy when we come to a meeting like let's say Kingdom Invasion or let's say some of this amazing meeting. We see people encounter God. I believe some of them are very real, but some because we are so let's say, oh I also want to be quite spiritual. I also want ah <laughs> and we do it. We say, wow, oh, encounter God, oh feeling that sense. But you know what, how to test a true encounter? that how, uh, how how deep it affect your heart and transform you. Yeah, exactly. Because if after encountering God it doesn't bring transformation, I would say it's a hype. Yeah. It's fabricated. You just want to show forth how spiritual we are. But when you encounter God in that secret place, no one sees you. Yeah. You alone with God who want to show ah! <laughs> Angel sees it. God sees it. And it's real. And it's in that secret place, those reality of encountering who he is basically brings an anchor to your heart to believe. And this will become moments of memories that in the midst of trials and tribulation, you can pull it back and say, God, remember those moments. You have showed me who you are, and I need that right now. That is my anchor. You can do it then, you can do it now, and you can do it the next time. And when I talk about secret places, it's more than just a space. It's really here. I've come to learn this one thing. You know, sometimes we give excuses that we don't have time for God because we are a very busy society. And we have to go to work, we wake up early in the morning to have our breakfast at 8 a.m. Send our kids to school, and then I have to just go straight to work. And after work, it's a long day, eight to nine or not eight to nine. Sorry, maybe some of you eight to nine, eight to five. After eight to five, I have to go and pick up my kids, send my wife back to home, back home. She have to cook, and then we have to spend family time. And then after that, no time, no time for God, no time to pray. How to have secret place? How to have that private space of prayer? I just want you to know that the secret place is no long, is not confined in a space. It is really something that is internal you have to understand that there's a God who, don't, who lives inside of you and He is right here with you and wherever you go, you can actually have a moment and a time with Him in the secret where no man sees. Is right here. <laughs> you have access. Wherever. In fact, I've learned it. When I take train, I, my favorite time of the day is always take either MRT, Some now I take a lot of Uber. And... Uh, lazy. But back in those days when I traveled to, with my dad, you know, I mean, not my dad, my dad drive. When I was working for my dad from Tampines to Tuas or other Tampines to Bukit I take bus 67. You know, 67 to, from Bukit Timah to Tampines, two hours. <laughs> and in that two hours, sometimes I play my PSP back in those days. And there are moments where I just close my eyes and I just learn to talk to God in that place. I close my eyes. I shut everything around me. I shut the door. I shut the door of distractions. I shut things around me and I start to look upon the, the glory that is resting within me and I start talking to Him with Bible scriptures and stuff like that. You see, we, it's not an excuse that we don't pray because the truth of the matter is not being confined in a space because the person that you are talking to lives inside of you and you can commune with Him day and night. Even in your sleep. I want to give you some practical application that I believe will help you because after telling you all these things, right, I just want to give you some practical application. Doing PowerPoint helps me to do all these things, right? I don't used to do this. Psalms 27 verse 4, David gave us a few practical aspects, all right? It's this. He it says, One thing have I desired that I will seek after it's to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold, to gaze upon beauty and to inquire in His temple. These four things is something that's so practical I want to give to you that you can actually do it anywhere you want. And all you need to do to seek after is simply to, to that means make time to find yourself in His presence. I want you to know that there's no, there's, God's presence is made open for us to access anytime, anywhere. Why Jesus ran the veil? You don't have to go to a temple to find the presence of God. In fact, Jesus ran the veil and His presence is in our midst. The problem with us is this. Some, his presence, He's always with us. The only thing that we need to do is sometimes to find and navigate and to begin to accustom our spirit to the sensitivity to incline, to basically to... to attune, attune our, our spirit to the presence of God. He is here. He is inside of you. He is around you. And you just need to find time to just quieten yourself down and to search and scan and to begin to accustom your spirit to the presence of God that is all around you and within you. And not just that, to dwell in, to make space for God, to speak through His Word in His Bible. You see, one of the things that I can do with the Bible is this. you have Now you have, you have handphone, right? We can say, oh no, I know I never bring Bible to work Too heavy. Never mind. You bring phone everywhere you go. You every on Facebook, right? Oh, young people. Oh, no excuse. Instagram or Snapchat. And you can actually open up your Bible with your cell phone. Or you can carry with you a verse with you wherever you go. Take one verse with you. Go anywhere with the verse. And you start talking to God with the verse. And the thing is that after you have giving time to take a verse with you, you learn to gaze and give attention to the word and phrase and the passage from the scripture that God is highlighting to you. And you you dwell there. You meditate there. You just look on it. You just keep on setting your mind on it and meditate it. And eventually, you ask God to reveal Himself to you. These are practical steps that require practice. I want you to know practicing the presence of God is something that is doable. It requires a little bit of effort at first, but as you begin to jump out of your comfort zone and practice these few steps, you actually can get into a place of accessing, in a place, access into God's presence and to know Him and to ask Him to reveal Himself and the revelation of Jesus to you, wherever. You can grow in intimacy daily. Okay, I'm going to move beyond the practical applications. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And this is where I'm going to camp at, and I'm after, after that, I'm going to close. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to all the way to 19. All right, I'm going to read it. You guys there? Okay, verse 13. I think we have preached this before, and I just want to re, re, revisit this again. In verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples reply and say, Some say that you are John the Baptist, others say that you are Elijah, and others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them again, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus answered him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you buy on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And then he strictly tells them not to tell people that he's Christ. All right, we all know this passage of Scripture. It is like the question that Jesus will ask, who do people say that I am? And he says, oh, some say that you are this prophet and that prophet. And then Jesus asks a very directive question about too, something that's more personal. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? I know Bill Johnson said this about me. I know Pastor Daniel said this about me. I know Constance said this about me. Audrey says this about me. They know me. They can say this about me because I think they know him because of the secret place that they have with God, the intimate relationship they have with God. But what about you? What do you say that I am? How much of me do you know personally and intimately? And I just, want to give you, I just want you to know that there's these two points, the two fundamental keys that God has given to us through this scripture because I believe this will change the way we, we look at knowing God because it, we cannot know God by ourselves. It requires someone who is higher, who knows the Son perfectly to reveal the Son to you. And he says that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, who who have done that. Can I just let you know that it takes God to know God? Yeah. And second thing, it's not just that, but out from that experience of him uttering to Jesus who he is, and Jesus responded to him and tell Peter who he is. And it takes God to know myself. The first level is God reveals God to us and then when we know God, we begin to find and He begins to tell us who we are to Him and who we are in Him. And it's in that place and this is what He says, and upon this rock, the revelation of knowing Jesus, He will build His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You have to understand again, the revelation of Jesus is why we, why, why revelation of Jesus? Because Jesus is the perfect image of God and He's the perfect image of man And when you begin to have a revelation of Him, you know God and you know yourself. And it's in that place when you begin to step into what He has made you to be, You become the very unstoppable force that the kingdom of darkness will have to push back because you step into the identity, the calling, the purpose that God has given to you. It is God-given. Before the foundations of the world, He has put it inside of you. You are not an accident. The gift of God as in you is given by Him. We receive nothing apart the one who gave us in heaven. I want you all of us here to know we may be all different, but every one of us is a gift of God. And it requires you to know him first and then eventually he'll tell you who you are. And as you begin to agree with him of who he said that you are, you begin to step into this thing called the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And when collectively with all of us you'll begin to find out who God is and who we are, we become the ecclesia, the church, and we begin to function in the fullness of who he is on the earth and the gates of hell shatters. And that's why I say the, the, the need of the revelation of Jesus is important. If we don't know Jesus, if we don't know who He is, we, power, we will become powerless. There's one day the Lord kind of like spoke to me while I was on a plane to LA. I was with my brother. We went. I think we were going to uh, one of the conference in uh, Hitch Rock. And then I was kind of like meditating and talking to God on the plane, having my secret place with God at the heights of don't know how many thousand feet above sea. And then I keep asking God this question. I said, God, I want authority. I want the key of David. I want the authority of Jesus. I want the authority that you have for your people. And then the Lord just gently whispered to me and he said, Jason, the reason why David can have that key is because he first had the heart. I can entrust to David my kingdom, my authority, and my power because he will not abuse it because he knows my heart. God entrusts his kingdom, his keys, and his authority to people who will want to fulfill his will, his desire, his blueprint. And I can perhaps, I want to say, That from Matthew chapter 16, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the blueprint of the church. It is the very thing that unlocks whatever God wants to release on the earth in heaven. And the way God wants to build His church is by us knowing Him personally and through that place we know ourselves and we step into that role of obeying Him and living out what He has called us to do and be. He says, I will build my church upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Upon this rock, the revelation of Jesus. Upon this, which means that the revelation of Jesus, the head of the church is the blueprint of the church that we model and follow after him. But we have a challenge today. What is the challenge? I think the challenge of the church today is prayerlessness. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm better. I want you to know that I struggle with prayer as well. I won't say I'm a, I'm a perfect saint with a halo over my head. I pray all day, all night. I'm not that, alright? Stop labeling me as the one of those self-prayer intercessors. I'm not. I struggle too. I go to a prayer room with moments where I feel like sleeping and drooling. But this is, this is the reality. I think the, one of the great challenges that we have in the body of Christ today is prayerlessness. If I were to make a poll right here, how many of us really praise and spend quality time with the Lord? I won't be surprised that I'd be nice. 60% don't do it. It is just general in terms of what the world is happening around the world today. I think people have kind of devalued prayer because prayer has become something that's a little bit boring. Leonard Riven, who says the prayer meetings of the church today is like the Cinderella of the story. It's the very unwood, uncherished, and unglam. It's for people who just, you know, who are just sell, sell people. But Leonard River here also say, "No man is greater than no man is greater than his prayer life. Who you are, as a person, defines by your life in prayer with God, because it is in that place you know Him, and you begin to find yourself in Him, and you begin to become who God has ordained you to be. And with the great challenge, if this great challenge is undealt with and unresolved, it will lead to a great crisis." And the great crisis is there will be a void of the knowledge of God. That means the, the earth will no longer, the knowledge of God will no longer become something that we have. God will become unknown. And what, guess what happened? When there's no knowledge of God, ungodliness begins to take place, lawlessness begins to abound. Why? Because the moral, the moral giver becomes blurred, then no one actually knows what is the moral compass. The one to give the moral, no one really knows what morality is anymore because God is the very compass of moral, morality. And when He is blurred, guess what happened? When there's the void of the knowledge of God, simply means this there will be a void of righteousness, of peace, of love, of joy. And not just that, when there's a, and there's a void of the knowledge of God, we will also see the church void of power and authority. Haven't we felt like sometimes we feel powerless? Like we, want, we see there's so much need in the world, but yet there's a void of power that we seem to can't give an answer to the world out there. And there's a spiritual barrenness in the church that we no longer attune to who Christ is and who He is and how we can actually step into our role. We became more of like, okay, we just want to have a good time in church and that's it. But perhaps God is inviting all of us here to once again ask ask all the questions. Is who do you say that I am? Why? Because I want you to step into the God-given destiny that I've ordained for you so that that this world will begin to give back to Jesus what He paid for that we become a witness of Him because we have testified and witnessed Him in our private places. When there's a void of the knowledge of God, there will also be this challenge that will come, which is we will begin to see people go into different arrow and deception. And I want you to know it is not, it is not something that is, I'm just trying to put fear. The truth of the matter is Paul himself wants the church. It is biblical. And we cannot shun that if there's fear inside of heart, afraid of deception and and error, perhaps it's time for you to get back, to encourage you to get back to that place, to tune in with God and to know Him for yourself. It's an encouragement more than fear. And I'm going to just kind of close with this. I've kind of been thinking and pondering about the next generation of people here, the young. And... From my personal journey and my life story, I, I, I mean, I feel that there's, uh, we, ha- we are in a place where we are almost losing an entire teenager in a church. Now, youth ministry are pretty much struggling with getting youth into the church today. The way we do youth ministry 10 years ago is very different today. I think when I was a youth 10 years ago, it was like the way we do youth ministry is so effective. We have one big day, thousands of people come planning great events and, and they come in and, and they kind of receive Jesus and they stay and some of them are here today. But the challenge I feel today, that because of how we have been building youth ministry in the past decades, that we, we raise leaders based on these few things. We raise leaders based on gifts, skill set to create a service experience more than to equip them to know God. To know the Word, to pray, to engage them, to talk to God, and to have a personal relationship. And we raise leaders based on, okay, this is how you are supposed to do it. You have to learn how to multiply churches, multiply groups, engage, have skill set to engage young people, you know, create some, some form of, of activity, you know, have knowledge of, of organizing activities. And we raise up many skillful and great leaders of organization. But we have the void of a spiritual leadership in the church today. That young people today do not know how to pray or talk to God or read the Bible for themselves anymore. I think we all learn through our journey. We all grow But I realized that my past five years of journey, God has actually kind of like re re digged some of my foundation that I've built. And just reinstate some of this foundation where I learn to actually find pleasures and delight in talking to God and to find, uh, uh, not not to be driven by an external stimulation, but to be driven by an internal fascination of who God is. Because today, We like to create experiences to draw people into church to let them experience God through what we create. But we don't teach them how to find God in a place where there's no such things. On Monday to Saturday, and guess what? They live in a void. And they keep on looking towards that one day on Sunday to find that sense of spirituality just once a week. And guess what happened? A new breed of leaders begin to raise up. And they begin, to, they begin to lead a generation of young people with just, okay, this is how you're going to lead the youth ministry, create service experiences. And then they know nothing about the word. And young people today is just like they are feeding themselves from social media, from articles. And guess what? When there's no more knowledge of God and there's no one preaching about Jesus on the pulpit today anymore, guess what happened? People begin to form ideologies with no true knowledge, no moral compass, and they begin to feed themselves and form their own ideology. And guess what happened? They live a lower living. Because when you have a low view of God or you have a no view of God, you become someone that lives under and a low living as a Christian. Because God is the ultimate, He's the ultimate picture or He's the ultimate goal that we want to conform ourselves to. But when there's no more preaching of the knowledge of God in the church today, people begin to live under. Because the right view of God leads to right living, and a low view of God leads to low living. And the reason why today we are void of power maybe, or void of young people being able to engage the Word of God themselves and be hungry for the Word, is because we have, maybe perhaps we have given them too much of this external experience, but we have not taught them how to learn to fellowship with God in the mundane, in a place where there is no nice music, Good band, nice sound, comfortable environment, or good preaching. And the key is really lies in the young adults today. If we don't begin to get back to that place of being an example to these young ones, how to pursue God, to love Him in the midst of the mundane and making knowing Jesus our main goal in life. We are gonna lose an entire generation because they don't know how to seek of themselves. We'll lose it. And today in a pulpit, I pray there will come a day that it will no longer just be about good principles of how to live good life or or from the Bible, but there will be a time when there will be preachers and men and women of God who have given themselves in a secret place of knowing God Himself, and, and, and Jesus revealing Himself to, to these pastors, and they will preach from a place where they know God, and they'll tell people who this God really is, and then the people in the congregation will be so fascinated and captivated by the person that He preached, and they will want to know Him for themselves. I think it's in t- enough of all the good principles living. You can find those in Facebook, 10 steps of this and that. There's so many of them, but it's time in the pulpit of the church today that we preach God and to, pre- and, to, and to present Jesus to people of who He is. And But in order for us to do that, the pastors and leaders have to get back to that place. And so this is my conclusion and my invitation i think the remedy of of what the young people needs today in order for us to see a new emerging generation to rise up to not be swayed by all sorts of doctrine i tell you the reason why some christians young people will say love wins love wins because these guys are educating them what love is until we begin to present what cool god is like and what kind of love he has and define and he become the definition of love rather than what the world tells us the definition of love. Unless we begin to tell people who this God is, our young people will be swayed by all the social medias and voices that's in the world that's trying to define what morality or what God or what God is. The church has to start coming back to this place. And I believe the remedy is this: we need to move our focus in our Christianity from external stimulation. To an internal fascination of Christ, the Creator who is dwelling in us and we learn to behold Him, behold the glory that is within you. Guys, I want to encourage all of us here today. God has breathed His Spirit and He gave Jesus to you. He paid the price so that He can live inside of you so that you can begin to engage and behold Him and you get transformed from glory to glory and become the person that God has intended you to be. And I want to encourage all of us to start living the life of prayer and to begin to pursue the revelation of Jesus. I am very zealous for the next generation. In fact, I am actually contending and praying for these guys a lot because I realize that if we don't begin to step up, as young adults or even parents to role model to these guys if we don't begin to model after these guys and show them how to live that kind of life we are going to lose an entire generation it's going to become a downward spiral if we don't resolve the great challenge in the church today which is prayerlessness we are going to lead into a place of crisis called a void of the knowledge of God and when there's a void of the knowledge of God we'll have an entire generation of people young people who who will not know God and we lose them to the world and youth ministries today, if I could just encourage, may, you, may your focus not be raising up a group of leaders that will just be good in organizing things and to create a good experience one day or two days or in a cell group or to multiply or get people into the church and then to just grow a group. If your focus will be to teach them how to pursue God and love God, you actually win a generation. Fire is contagious. When a man is on fire, people will see them burn. It's contagious. When I see a man give his heart wholeheartedly, pursue God, I get inspired. I When I look at men like Bill Johnson, who gave up everything that he had and says, God, I'll just pursue this one thing, you, revival. And because of one man's pursuit of him impacted an entire generation of men and women on the earth today because of one man pursuit of wanting to host the presence of God and saturate the earth with day and night prayer a man by the name of my people gave himself to build a community of prayer and to exhort Jesus day and night and now it becomes a phenomenon across the world and young people today are learning to engage the Bible by singing and praying and being discipled in that place of prayer again I think God is looking for men and women today in the church in the body of Christ who will not just come on church on Sunday but he will become, will become the church that God has ordained him or her to be. And first and foremost, you have to start beginning to say, God, I want the revelation of Jesus. I want to know you because you are the perfect image of God the Father. Through you, I know God, and not just that, that you are the perfect image of a man, and I want to be like you. And this is my pursuit to know you, and so that I can step into what you have called me to be, and begin to give back to you what you deserve. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. We owe the world an encounter with Jesus. And until we get our own encounter with God and pursue him day in and day out on a daily basis, we will never, ever give to the world what they need. So this is my charge to all of us here. City Church, we are here to be a alive. The city on a hill that is on, that, will, that, 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 that uh, there will be a light that will shine and it cannot be hidden. And I pray that you will begin to give your eyes to behold that light, that from that place of beholding that light, you become the light.